It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Arsenal get battered everywhere they go. <laughs> Arsenal get battered everywhere, everywhere they, they go. Everywhere they go. go. Hello, Windy. And a man who knows better than anyone that... Arsenal get, get battered, battered everywhere <laughs> they go. <laughs> Arsenal get, get battered, battered everywhere they, they go. go. It's Nathan Lee <sighs> Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Windy. I didn't actually say our tactics guy. That felt wrong then. <laughs> our tactics guy. Did I, I say think, that? Uh, I think I did say it. No, I did say it. It's fine. I said it. On an occasion like this, kind of decorum and manners all goes out the window. We can all be <laughs> a sweaty, heaving mess and we're allowed to do things that we don't normally do, which... Kind of like what happened to me at Arsenal on Thursday, so <laughs> we're, we're allowed to be a bit naughty. A little bit naughty, a little bit naughty. Yeah, little bit, because they don't like it up and windy, that's what happened. <laughs> we we brutalised them. What did I say last week? Rattled, rattled yeah, as yeah. fuck. Truly rattled. Before we get into that, and my goodness, are we going to get into that? Uh, just to say once again that we launched some new merch last week, which you can see on the extrainch.co.uk. There's a, a tab for shop. And you can also, if you don't wish, wish to subscribe to our Patreon, uh, you can buy us a coffee on ko-fee.com forward slash the extra inch. It's a nice way of showing your support. It's, uh, it's three quid. Three quid if you want to show support to your boys. Uh, we had a massive discussion to our response about hair loss last week. I am going to read some bits and bobs towards the end of the podcast. So if that interests you, stay tuned. Uh, Bardi, Cal the Aggregator, legend that he is, says, is this what true happiness feels like? I mean, it's pretty close. You know, getting into the Champions League at the expense of them and the way they've kind of crumbled, it is, yeah, it's pretty close to true, true happiness. I don't think Spurs winning the league is something that we can contemplate or winning the Champions League. So, yeah, this is this is pretty good. This is, It may not be a trophy for the people that want something to lift, and I've been one of those guys for a while, but this is, this is proper happiness. I love, I love it. 
and I completely agree. You've got to take these, you've got to take these moments um, and run with them while we can. Uh, is there any part of you, Bardi, that thinks that we need to wait until Sunday before we get overexcited? Yeah, of course. There's there's a, a huge part of me which is concerned. <laughs> Straight after the the final whistle um, yesterday, Nima slid into my DMs, which which he likes to do when when Conte has a big result. He doesn't come into my DMs when um, when he's messed up, but he came into <laughs> my DMs yesterday celebrating along with me, and he said this was one of Conte's three miracles, along with taking a terrible Italy team to the quarterfinals in 2016 and um, Siena keeping Siena in, 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 set, in promotion sorry with Siena to, to Serie A so he reckons this is an incredible feat by Conte and he, he's very happy for us but I told him I'm not celebrating yet I mean I, I'm very happy at what, what we've done but yeah it's still not it's still not done Wendy it's still not it's still not official I think it's done I think it's done I think um it's no, not done. It, is, it isn't done. Not only do it I think it hasn't been done, but yeah, I think we're going to batter Norwich, and no. and I also don't think Arsenal will beat Everton. <laughs> Have you been watching Tottenham for the last thirty-five years? It doesn't quite work like that. Doesn't quite work like that. I'm uh, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about uh, us having a, having a Spursy moment at Norwich because we're in pole position. And as you pointed out, Arsenal have to go to Everton. And as we know, Arsenal get bad. Get bad. <laughs> yeah, everywhere, everywhere they go. They go. <laughs> but Everton are pretty bad. And you know, like Delhi's not going to pull out 12 goals and assist in one game. So He's not going to play. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to play. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm not too worried. Let's let's get stuck into the North London Derby. Peter Strum says, How beautiful was the NLD? Um it was very beautiful, Peter. It was absolutely perfect in every way. Uh let's start with the lineup. Uh I mean, we we knew we knew uh, not long before kickoff that Romero was going to be um there was ITK going round that Romero was out, which I, I refused to believe. I, I refused to believe. I'm like I was like an anti-vaxxer on this. It's like it, it does. It's not true. And when it turned out to be true, I was concerned because even though I like I like Big Dave, I was worried about his ability to pass out the back against a team which I thought would be pretty good at stopping us that way. Yeah, I was. I had been excited about the match for a few days in advance, and then in the hour or so before, I was dreading it because of that because of that late team news. I I I still felt good about it to be honest. I um yeah, completely agree with Bardi about Sanchez. I mean obviously it's a huge downgrade in terms of our ability to play out and uh there was a there was a concern there for sure. There was a concern there. But I felt like we were I felt like we were such a good stylistic match for Arsenal. Um and I felt like our the rest of our players were in such a good place that it was all going to be fine. It was all going to be absolutely fine. And it was. And Sanchez had a rough opening. Um, you know, his first touch of the ball was a lump forward, right? It's uh, <laughs> he, he didn't cover himself in glory in those early stages. But as Arsenal's press declined and Sanchez had more time in the ball, he was absolutely more inadequate and yep. he did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, I just want to touch back on Peter Strom's um, question because I, I went down to Tottenham pretty early on, on Thursday, probably too early, earlier than, <laughs> than, my, than my body could take. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was really nice to be back at the stadium playing a big match against a proper rival and have something at stake other than just the game. Because a lot of times recently we've played these games and the only thing that really mattered was that 90 minutes. There wasn't any kind of long-term repercussions and there was just an energy around the place. Even getting there early, you could feel it. And then 
as the game got closer and closer, and we kind of hung out on the high street, watching the people kind of swell and hang out, hang outside the stadium. It was it was really really nice from a Tottenham point of view, and that you could see and you could feel that if you're an Arsenal fan walking up through that, then it would have an effect on you. And it it was just a wonderful atmosphere. And that stadium is incredible at the way it can just pick up energy from from the home crowd and just kind of direct it down onto the pitch. The acoustics, whatever they did, the science behind it is quite amazing that it sounds as loud in there as it does on TV. It's just an incredible stadium and they've done a really good job. But when when everybody's together, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's why the North London derby was beautiful. It was just the perfect evening, perfect occasion, perfect result and just great people in the stadium at that moment. Best atmosphere you've, you've witnessed? Yeah, yeah, I think so. There was um, obviously the game against Palace was was quite good, and then there was the um, the Man City games. But without doubt, that was it's one of those moments that we'll look back on it and we'll go, "That's when that stadium felt like home." It kind of needed a moment where you would where it just everyone started forgetting about old White Hart Lane and just started thinking about the new stadium. And I, I think so. It's the best atmosphere I've seen there. Nice. Um, I, I think it was also brilliant because the way the match panned out was fucking hilarious as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It, you know, it, it couldn't have been funnier. And the fact that Arsenal fans think it's so contra- controversial makes it even more hilarious. Uh, it, it wasn't controversial, though, Nathan, was it? Your, your tweet, which I think might be your greatest tweet to date, uh, holding, elbowing, walking, kind no. of summed it up. I wasn't I wasn't expecting uh <laughs> that to go off <laughs> but yeah like, thanks yeah uh I mean yeah so I did I did like a tactical video uh, and I talked about how Arsenal presses in like the in the goal kick in really deep possession we looked nervous Sanchez and Royale on the ball oh god what's going to happen it was kind of okay but then like once we'd established possession on the midway line Arsenal dropped into their shape and um, oh, what's his name? Begins with L. Forgive me. There's oh, an Arsenal fan. No, 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 no. Sorry. An Arsenal fan on Twitter um, pointed out something that I didn't quite click when I made my video, which is that like because they just they didn't adapt their pressing shape because they, they sat in their their normal shape. They were just outnumbered. So every time they pushed up to chase a back pass, there was always just one of our wide centre backs with just acres and acres of space. And we could just continually work that over and over again. So once Arsenal were pinned back, they they just had no way out, um, which is not which is not the way to play against Conte's Tottenham. Like you've got, especially if you've got you know Davinson and Royale in the back line, you've got to punish that. So um, they just let us into that game and went away. And to be honest, I think that's kind of where the analysis ends in that game. There wasn't much more detail than that. Mainly, what happened is that we we dominated on an individual level. We we won our duels, and especially especially Son walked Rob holding like a dog. Mm, mm. There was a, a slight moment of concern where Son kind of retaliated a little bit. Uh, and to be honest, perhaps he should have had a booking mm. for that. Um, kind of like threw an arm back towards Holden to say, get off me, because he'd already had two or three goes at him by then. Uh, but Holding was a, like, every challenge that Holding made should have been a yellow card, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, he was walking a tightrope from very early on. Son, like you say, had him on strings. He couldn't cope. Um, Carragher did some really good analysis on Monday Night Football or it might have been Neville one of them did some analysis about how we played into Son's feet from early on Cessnion, Davis I think Kiwi with one of the passes and on one occasion Holding hadn't committed to following him and straight away Son turned and, and we had possession of their half and like created our first good um, piece of threatening play from that 
uh, and and holding not only felt he had to get tight to Son, which I think is legitimate. I think that's a legitimate um, tactical strategy, but he felt he had to bully Son, and that is not. That's just that's foolish. Well, I th- I think that. Um... I think he was. I think there was an instruction. I think there was an attempt to provoke some. We've kind of seen this before with him kicking out Rudiger with his mm-hmm. foul on uh, Andre Gomez. Um, it must be another as well. Sending off in uh, at Bournemouth. There you go. Where where he's repeatedly being physically bullied, he can lash out in a way that is is you know going to get him sent off. So I suspect there was an intention to. To try to get at Sun that way, but he just did such a poor job, and on the other end, Sun did such a good job yeah. of riding it. I think Sun shouldn't have elbowed him. I think that that could have been the moment that they were looking for. But once he didn't get sent off, and he could just draw further fouls out of holding. Um, uh, yeah, Cedric left holding in a lot of trouble. He kept pushing up onto mm-hmm. Young, who made really good plays to get around him and mm. and find Sun. Uh, isolated in a lot of space against holding, um, and he just isn't gonna, you know just turn and keep up with Sun all the way back to go, is he? So, um, yeah, and, and, and Sun just made such a good advantage of that situation over and over again. Mm, mm, absolutely. So the other the other incident that the Arsenal fans really don't like is the penalty call. I, I think it's such an obvious penalty. I mean, yes, it's something we see defenders do all the time, but they normally time it better. They normally kind of barge into the back when the ball's about to arrive, not before before the players even got off the ground. And it just looked so clumsy because Son was just starting to to jump for the ball as he got a barge in the back. And so obviously he's going to, you know, it's, it's, it's stopping him getting up for the ball. So of course he's going to go down. It, it was, was just really too early. foolish. It was too early. You're mm. right. He, he just waited a fraction of a second more. The referee wouldn't have taken a look at it, but he can't do that before the ball arrives. Yeah, yeah. Craziness. I give a little shout well, we don't need to give him a shout out but Kane on penalties once again oh yeah he, he and Ramsdale obviously they know each other I think maybe they even spent did they don't even know if they spent the summer in the same same camp for, for the Euros but Ramsdale tried to uh, tried to psych him out and Kane just, just dealt with him and just cleanly put it the other side of him he's getting to that point now where you would bet big money on him scoring his penalties yeah absolutely and you know the, the statistics came up on the screen and showed which way he goes and we we're all thinking okay is he going to change it up and is that going to throw him off but nope he he just buries them and well the truth the is had, Burnley. if he goes left and the goalkeeper goes that same side it's still unlikely the goalkeeper is going to save him because he he's so good at it but he he switched it up nicely it wasn't the perfect penalty but it didn't matter because the ref the, the goalkeeper was just too focused on going one way mm-hmm. yeah you're right the, the Burnley pen was so tucked in the the side netting that yeah. I don't think you can save it if, even if you no. go the right way. He's ridiculous. He's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so Charlie Coop says, can you dedicate a good amount of time to Davinson who came in, looked nervy, but put in two solid shifts and had better line breaking passes than I remember ever seeing him do. Um, yeah. I mean, Romero is a tough guy to replace. Romero is, is one of our best players. Uh, and the thing about Romero is he's not just a brilliant defender; he's he's a brilliant playmaker as well. Uh, so you kind of have to you kind of have to lower the bar a little. It's not fair to expect Sanchez to come close to what Romero can do, sure. and and I think it's it's also not fair to expect any centre back to come close to what Romero can do. Uh, so you lower the bar, and and Davinson did a, an adequate job, I thought. You know, it's it's tough to come in when you've not played for a long time, and he he didn't look 
unfit. He looked like he kind of got the tempo of both games really quickly. Um, and and yeah, his passing was all right. I mean, it's not, I, 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 I'm not I'm not sure I agree. And Nathan made the point actually in his video that that Sanchez's passing has improved under Conte. I don't think I agree with that. I think okay. um, I think his passing is really exposed. To be honest, in Conte's system, I think it it looks even worse because of the fact that he's asked to play out <laughs> so much. I kind of think both. I kind of think like more is being asked of him. He stepped up a little, but everything that's missing yeah, is glaringly okay. obvious. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think you've been a bit harsh, Wendy. Yeah, you. He's playing a, a ball. He's playing a ball playing defender role, which is going to highlight his weaknesses. But he does okay. He he's kind of learnt that pass into Kane into the forward just inside the box. Uh, it's what the third goal came from. And there was a few other occasions where that little pass into Kane worked. And I think if he just keeps focusing on that one pass and then one other, he, he'll be fine. We're mm. not. I'm not going to stand here and say that he's a he's an adequate replacement for Romero because very few players are. But I thought he I thought he gave it a good job in very difficult circumstances. He could have come in and just fallen over his feet and really mm. messed it up. But he was solid. And against Burnley, there was a moment where him and um, Emerson played the ball out neatly from our corner flag and we broke and Son had a good chance to to seal the game. So I think I think we should give some a lot of credit to Davinson. He he did good. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Burnley games. You've um, you've segued nicely there, but I would like to say um, Joyberg was excellent against Arsenal. He had a fantastic game. There wasn't much pressure on him. He had virtually the whole midfield to himself, but he was good, <laughs> and I enjoyed his performance. And he was solid. And yeah, it was one of the best I've seen him play. Um, yeah, so I just want to say that because people always go, "Oh, you always go against." You're just being Arsenal fan TV by always going after Joyberg. <laughs> Which I'm trying, I'm not, but um, he was excellent against Arsenal, so fair play. I think think he's got anything to prove to me, of course. I think the second half of the season, Huey Bear has has been fantastic. Uh, I think he's had a good season on the the whole, but the second half, I think he's come on really strong. Um, It's probably partly because he's got an understanding with Bentancur now before Mm. it was, you know, his partner would change fairly regularly and it's difficult to create relations. And playing twice a week was difficult as well. yeah, playing once a week really suits him, and I think he's really, really stepped up. I've been super impressed with with Yubia. Um So, so Burnley, there was another change. We had Lucas in for Kudelski. Kudelski had been unwell in the lead up to the game. Um, obviously, that was a, a, a big blow. Um, we know how important Kudelski is to our team in all manner of ways. For me, the Burnley game was similar to one of the games where like a month ago we'd have won 4-0. I I felt like we steadily created chances throughout the game and Nick Pope was absolutely fantastic. And it was really, really difficult to beat him, you know, Um, made good saves from Son in particular. And and then we got the little bit of luck just before halftime with the with the penalty call, which for me was a again, a, a pretty clear cut penalty, I think. People don't like the kind of the ball to hand thing, but it, it's not been that way for many years now. And the the clear giveaway from Ashley Barnes was where he kind of thrust his chest forward a little bit. And what he's doing there is deliberately trying to make himself big. And in doing so, he's got his arm out. So if the ball hits your arm, it's fair game. It's a penalty. Absolutely no doubt. But again, the Arsenal conspiracy theory types are uh, <laughs> are not happy with this. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's definitely one where you look at the the VAR replay or whatever um, in isolation. It's like, yeah, sure, that makes sense as a penalty, but in the flow of the game, it felt really 
it did plucked because play had gone on some time. I missed that there were shouts for it. Like it was like, oh, okay, we're going to go into half time at nil nil now, and then there was like, nope, uh, we've decided we're going to award a goal to Tottenham before the end of half time. I was like, okay, cool, nice. <laughs> and I just and I knew that that would like get the Arsenal fans rolled up again. And I I, I tweeted just before the the Arsenal Newcastle game like if this. If this conspiracy mindset has has got into the squads and they're in big trouble, and I don't know, it, they they were fucking terrible against Newcastle. So, yeah. So the only thing I would say about the Burnley game, and and let me reiterate again, I think we played really well. I thought we created good chances. Uh, that there, there was definitely a little bit of sluggishness, kind of slight hangover from the Arsenal game sure. for me. Um, and I thought it was particularly noticeable when we tried to play crossfields and underhit them. It was like. There was a kind of heavy leggedness about some of the passing. Um, I noticed Son, Kane, I want to say Emerson Real as well, all under hit crossfields um, in the early part of that game. But on the whole, I thought we came through it really well. Sessegnon had a very strong performance. Uh, he was a man of the match, uh, voted man of the match by the fans. Uh, thoroughly deserved, has really stepped up these past two games um, again. And all was well in the world. I think the Burnley game was, it was just an awkward time. It was, um, we played Liverpool Arsenal. It was a really early kickoff. There mm. was, there was sluggishness there. There, there was, um, they'd look, even Lucas, who's, who's normally just pure legs, he looked slow. And there was a tension in the crowd as well. And as the game went on and it was just one nil, you could feel it. And it was, it was an uncomfortable game. Whereas I wasn't too concerned about Arsenal. Burnley was always the game I was the most worried about because I could just see something happening. And, and we know sometimes against a low block, we can get nullified and cut stopping the ball into Kane. So I was really worried about this game. And the longer it stayed one nil and the longer Pope kept making incredible saves, the more I started to be concerned that they would get a scrawny goal. And, and then that would be that. I was definitely once again really worried about the late team news of Kulisewski being out with illness and more of being in this place because you know there's, if there's one thing you need against Burnley it's sort of creativity and mm. great ball delivery um, some guile and then obviously Kulisewski for more is the opposite direction of that um, but we've seen something really interesting um, develop on the right side of the pitch right so originally we had under Conte we had Mora um, and and Royale and obviously in the three four three setup. Uh, Mora plays inside the channel and Royale hugs the touchline. And eventually, um, the two of them are traded out for uh, Kulusevsky and Doherty. And in that situation, they start to develop a better understanding where Kulusevsky moves wide and Doherty moves inside, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, And those two are really working well as a partnership. Since then, Doherty's got injured. Royale's come in. Royale has started to pick up the Doherty position with Kulusevsky staying wide. And then what we saw finally in the Burnley game is Mora stay wide and, and Royale tuck in. So we're back to our original pairing on the right side, but they're now adopting around the roles that Kulusevsky has influenced. Now, I think that it would have been great for us to arrive at that point without needing sort of a player to point us in that direction. I think that if we'd have been using Royale as this sort of inverted wing back role and, and Mora as a touchline hunger, which is more of his kind of game anyway from the off where he's isolated 1v1 against his man, you know, and he, and he, and he made good use of that against Burnley. Um, then we might have seen better performances out of the two of them back when they were sort of default first choice. Um, but I'm glad we arrived there now. I do think that we're beginning to develop a bit of a thing at right back where um, we're going to have to pick between Doherty and Royale. You know, we're going to have to decide who we want to plan around, who we're shipping out. And because I still think you want to bring in like a, a megastar, right? You want to bring in like a really, 
a brilliant, brilliant right back to be first choice. But at this point, both Doherty and Royale have proven themselves quite worthy of being second choice. Um, so I think that's that's becoming a slightly tough decision. It doesn't change too much what, what what's on our shopping list, of course. Do you think this is because Conte's found a workaround? Because they neither Doherty or Emerson are, are natural kind of flying wing, not not the same kind of wing backs like Cessignon or or Reguilon are. Do you reckon mm. this is he's just stumbled upon a like yeah like a workaround? And when it worked with Doherty, he thought, okay, let's do it with Emerson, who's also got limitations in other areas. Pretty much, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's nice. I mean, I think it might have been something. I don't know if we actually started this match that way. I think we might have drifted into the match later in that setup. It looked like at first Mora was in narrow and, and Royale was at wide and then there was a switch maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes in. Or maybe I just didn't catch it for the first 20 minutes. But yeah. People didn't like my tweets on this, Nathan. Okay, go I, on. I, 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 I referred to Emerson Royale playing the Cancelo role rather than the Trent Alexander-Arnold <laughs> role. And people were like, you can't compare him to Cancelo, <laughs> which is, which is yeah, absolutely fair enough. But the, the point the stands Delph that... Role. Yeah, the Fabian Delph role. I think him stepping inside really suits him because he's not ambitious at taking a man on and coming inside to take a man on is a lot easier. You're 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 committing less, so it's it's safer. And he's got a, a a nice level of composure to him when he steps inside and he's he's very very sensible with his passing. He's very tactically astute. Finally seeing that sort of upside of his short passing game that I bigged up before he came and, <laughs> and we haven't seen at all till now. Yeah, I mean, on on the on the sort of point around which should we sell? I think we do still sell Emerson Royale because we'll get a good fee for him. We should and, do, and yeah, and he, I think he would be really excellent at a club that plays a style that suits him. Um, and I think he could be pretty good at Spurs as well, but he's not going to excel. I think you know we can still add another. Okay. You know, the way I saw Cessignon play against Burnley and and to some degree against Arsenal, I was thinking, wow, if we had like a super attacking right wing back and a little bit of the pressure was off Cessignon and it was coming down both sides. Then he's the oh surprise. Goodness, that's ex- yeah, exactly. He's the one arriving at the back post mm. on the end of a right wing back's crosses. I think that's a really exciting prospect. Mm. Yeah, I was I was gonna say the the full the wing back that you can compare to Cancelo is is Cessignon, just in terms of numbers and just in terms of how it's playing. I've been a bit concerned about Cessignon over the last couple of years, but his performances recently and the way he's developing and the way he's understanding and people get upset with him for not taking on the the fullback or just making those runs. But I think it's not a case of that. I think it's him understanding when to go and when not to go because he does do that run beyond the beyond the defensive line and he does take on his man, but he, he's. Got got that intelligence to know when to do it and not just do it blind like like we have like we see with Reggie with Reggion who just sometimes just doesn't think about what he should be doing at that moment I think Cess is really smart player and I'm, I'm really excited by him he's kind of like the anti-Regulon because Regulon is so mm. frantic and um can't kind of work out what he wants to do whereas Cessignon is calm-headed and composed and he knows what he wants to do but he will wait for the right moment to achieve it he, he wants yeah. the he wants all of the circumstances to be right for him to make that darting run, uh, and so sometimes he'll play safe. And I think it's I think it's completely fine for him to play safe, uh, especially when he can then pull out assists like he did for Son's goal against Liverpool, and uh, like some of the mm. fantastic 
expected assists that he racked up in the, in the next two games. Um, really, really impressive from Sessegnon, creating at a very high rate at the moment. There was a, a question on, on Twitter. We had a lot of uh, responses to the, to the tweet, ask us a question. And it was a photo of Reggion in the kind of lap of honor at the end of the season. Mm, mm. And I, I think when you take one of these photos out of context, mm. anybody could look miserable. You could have taken a photo of Kane and gone, oh, that mean, that face means he wants to leave. But um, I do think now if um, if an offer comes in for him, we will sell him and just focus on on Sessignon instead. It just makes sense in terms of homegrown and everything else for the, for Europe. Yeah, so I, yeah, I can't believe that that this is the way it is now. I can believe it, and I'm 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 not sorry in a way. I like I think Regulon's fine, and uh, I'd like to keep him. I'd be all right with keeping him another season. I don't think we're going to get the forty million in his buyback. I'd be surprised if we got that, but I think we can still get a good fee for him. We at least get our money back, which a couple of years on is is fine, right? Yeah, but I, I could do. I I'm happy to see another season with him. So Russ says, "What's the nature of the Burnley win? The straw that broke Arsenal's back." What do we think to that one? I mean, I think if you're going to think about Spursiness, losing to Burnley would have been proper Spursiness. And the fact that we didn't and we ground out a result and it was 1-0 and the rest of it, I think that probably did have an impact on Arsenal. For the first time, it really put the pressure on them. So I, I think that had a huge impact on them. For sure. I mean, I think the the combination of the two uh, is is what did for Arsenal, you know, absolutely destroyed by their local rivals. You know, we we played in second gear in the second half. That's how comfortable we were. We didn't we barely had to try. Uh and then a man sent off, obviously. So they're slightly more tired than you'd be if you had eleven players. And then seeing us ahead of their game, a day ahead, uh do what we needed to do, essentially. Put the pressure Me, on. Put the pressure on, exactly. So they go into their game against a resurgent Newcastle team, feeling sorry for themselves, just been really beaten heavily in the match that really matters against the team that's competing with them. Young team. And, you know, Arteta, I think, was the most rattled of anyone. His post-Spurs interview showed him just absolutely losing it. And that filters through to the players. I mean, I'm sure we'll see this in All or Nothing, which, my God, I cannot wait to watch. <laughs> uh, it's not going to look great for Arteta. I think, you know, he, he he's an inexperienced young manager and I'm sure he'll learn from this, but he absolutely fucked it. He really fucked it on this occasion. And it wasn't a surprise to me that Newcastle beat Arsenal. I, I, I thought they'd beat them, but the, the sheer dominance that Newcastle showed in that game, that was a surprise. I was not uh, expecting Newcastle to have like 65, 70% possession in the first half. Some of the commentary that's been coming out around Arsenal and about their thin squad and about their young squad has, has been annoying me. I mean, they've they played 44 games this season, which is, which is nothing. Um, they spent the reason a fortune. They've spent a fortune. The reason why this squad is so thin is because he's booted players out. I don't think he was forced to sell Aubameyang. He could have gone into the end of the season without relying on Enketia and Lacazette, who's who's leaving as well at the end of the season. He's alienated large sections of his squad. He's promoted players who really aren't that good. They've bought players who aren't that good. They signed Ramsdale, who had a, a really incredible start to the season, but that was an outlier according to like what he normally is. He's yep. a, not a good goalkeeper yep. who happened to have a good run of form. And now we're seeing his performance drop. 
And he's now playing like a goalkeeper that's been relegated a couple of times. So I think Arteta, I don't give him any credit for being a good manager. He's not. I don't give him a good credit for building a team or weaseling out the bad players. He's a bad manager who didn't need to win the North London derby. He could have gone there, parked the bus, uh, shithoused the place, got a nil-nil and then gone back and, and been all right. Instead, they arrived there and they just showed the rest of the world how to beat them. And it, you just you just pressed them and they they fell apart. Do, do you know what it reminded me of a little bit? It reminded me of when we used to play Liverpool under Pochettino. Mm. Well, I mean, Arsenal remind me a lot of Spurs in the early 2000s, where just because the team is young and they've got some interesting young English players, everyone's like, oh, maybe we could be good. But they, they're so brittle and so fragile. Not if going anywhere, are they? they, they it sounds no. like there should be some promise, but they're just, it's not there. Yeah. Ben White, he, he just spends all his time on a tanning bed. He's, he's, he's not a good footballer. El Nenny is a guy that three years ago, Unai Emery was trying to get rid of. And now he's getting new contracts. He's just managed this team so badly. And you're right, I'm looking forward. Let's do an episode-by-episode commentary on all or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're terrible. And watching his face as they got spanked was brought me great, great joy. Has anyone, has it, have any of the teams with an all or nothing recording won anything yet? Are we, are we going to start referring to the all or nothing curse? I think Juventus maybe won something. A and cup. Man City, Man City won the league oh, okay, with 100 points, right. didn't they? Yeah, yeah. It's just, just us. Right, <laughs> <laughs> <But>, and Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, this is huge for Arsenal, not qualifying for the Champions League this year. And, and I know they weren't expected to, but it's... When your expectations get raised partway through the season and then crushed again at the end, touch wood, hopefully, hmm. uh, it's, it's pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal. And the fact that on their way up, Arteta signed a new five-year contract is absolutely hilarious. I think they've they've really overdone that. I think five years is is a crazy contract to give him at this stage in his career. I mean, I think Arteta's a good coach, right? I think he's an sure. Eddie Howe-level coach. Sure. Um, to, to give him a five-year contract is... I don't know. I think that is really foolish. And and the thing is, I can't see them getting Champions League next year either, unless they sign incredibly well. So Saka's not going to hang around forever. I could see Saka ending up at a club like Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be so good for Liverpool as well. Yeah, you know, like long-term replacement for Salah. Mm. It's, it, it would work really nicely. Um and, and you look at the rest of the squad and like, Bardi, I mean, I think there's some quality in the Arsenal squad, to be honest. I think there's some good players. I, I, unlike Bardi, I think Ben White's, Where? I think ben White's a quality player. I think Ben White would be unbelievable uh, in Spurs' system. Um, he's but, not getting in our back three. He, he doesn't replace anybody in our back three. Oh, he would. He would. He He'd would. replace Davinson on the bench. Yeah, he would replace Davinson on the bench. He doesn't get in front of Ben. I think ben. he'd be our second best after Romero. But, but let's, not, let's not talk about Ben White. I mean, I think like the you, whole... Wait, 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 no, wait. Who are you dropping for Ben White? Dyer or, or Davis? Uh, look, I mean, I've, I'm very, very critical of Dyer, but I wouldn't drop him. And Ben White's not playing on the left of that back three with the same elegance, composure and um, measure as Ben. Ben Davies got booked early in that first half against Arsenal. And that easily could have, the, the game could have swept him by. He could have been pressed, everything else. But he's just so calm and so good that it just didn't matter. And his relationship with Sessegnon looked really good against Burnley. Ben Davies, for me, player of the year. He's unbelievable <laughs> how he's how he's transformed. Dropping Ben Davies for Ben White. I'm worried about you, Wendy. I think he's good. I think he's really good. Um, I think he'll be England's first choice centre-back and Dyer won't make the squad. So, you know, I, I really like Eric Dyer. I think Eric Dyer's had a brilliant season, but I'm just saying, I think Ben White's a good player. But 
I think the the rest of their squad is so patchy. They've got they've got quality scattered within it, but they're going to re. I mean, no, Partey has had half a half a good season. Shaka is, you know, the most basic of players. He's all right. He's he, he's not great when times get tough. El Neni's their third choice central midfielder. He's pff, nothing to write home about. They they need to completely revamp their central midfield again. They need to completely revamp their front line again. This is a team that is is miles off what they want, what they think they're going to achieve. Well, they keep selling decent players. Torreira has had a pretty strong season in Italy. Um, what's his face? Gunduzi, I think he's done all right. Yeah, he's good. In, in Marseille, you know, there's two midfielders that are immediately better than the midfield that they played against us. I think so. And that's that's on Arteta, his inability to manage squads. And if they had Bayerin instead of Cedric Suarez, they might not have completely left holding exposed the game. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And this is on Arteta. He, he's walking around like he's Conte, but he's not. Not even close to being Conte. And yeah. I've I, I got to say the way Conte schooled him in, in the post-match <laughs> comments about... Uh, I oh, think it was hilarious. maybe Jack Pitbrook that said it, that Conte didn't complain, but by complaining about Arteta, he managed <laughs> to air all his complaints and take a dig <laughs> at Arteta. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing bit of media. And, and he, he is he's a fantastic manager. I think I've, I've been... I'm, I'm in love with Antonio Conte. I liked him a lot before he came, but he's something else, and he's a wonderful, wonderful manager. And if we only have him for two more years, then it doesn't matter. I'm not. Go- I'm not one of these people that are going to start complaining. He needs to sign a five-year deal. He doesn't need to. To have two more years of Antonio Conte doing incredible things with this team, and we'll win something. Um, I have I have full faith in that. I wanted to talk a bit about that um, because, uh, unlike a lot of Spurs fans. Nathan and I have insisted that Spurs have had good players all along and, and that he just needed a good coach to put it together. Um, but what I'll say on that is it's it's not the good players that we expected, you know? Sure. It's Ndombele, Lo Celso, Deli, players that, uh, you know, Eel, I think Bergwijn. are really talented. Exactly. Um, players that I think are really talented and I was hoping and expecting Conte to get something out of. He didn't use those, but he used other players that Jobbers. we were saying... Yeah, we like... <laughs> Dyer, Davis, players that we thought might leave in the summer. Um, Buddy, you, you just said the same about Hjoibier. You you weren't sold on him yep. particularly at the start of the year. So, but I think the point stands that you 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 get a, a good coach who has a system that that works and who can improve players. And you watch players who have previously been written off improve, and we see it time and time yep. and time and time again. I think people just need to take a bit more of a long-term approach of, with their judgment of players and accept that they go through fluctuations. Um, same with Emerson Royale this season. Same with Matt Doherty. And I, I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. Um, but some more than more than most. You, you just have to accept that not every player works for every coach, but give them a chance. And allow them, you know, they're Premier League players for a reason. Spurs signed them for a reason. They're not just trash because, because they're not winning in that moment. Um and it's been lovely to see the resurgence of some of our some of our players. And Bardi's mentioned Davis there. He's a, he's a great example of it. But find him a position that works for his current skill set and watch him excel. You know, he's he's had a fantastic attitude and temperament for many years. And now he's found the position that works for him. And it's a joy to behold. Uh, we're seeing the resurgence of Cessignon now, who I, I think is such a talented player. Um, and I'm sure there'll be someone else next year who will surprise right. us again. 
Harry Kane. Harry Kane was on his. He he was out. He he wanted to. Be, he wanted gone. And even though he started playing again under Nuno, he was just playing because he realised he needed to score goals if he had any hope of breaking any records. But under Conte, he's he's a he's a he's a new person again, and he looks completely invested into this project. Yeah. And I I have no fear in Kane leaving now, especially with Holland going to going to City. Yeah. I just. I see. I don't see Kane going anywhere else. I think he's going to buy into this. He'll get himself a nice new contract. Maybe there'll be a release clause. But I think Kane stays as long as Conte stays. Yeah. So this is something we spoke about a while back. Is like I was saying. I'm sort of not that worried about um, top four this year. And you pointed out that that Conte and Kane staying might be dependent on that. Um, and that very much seemed the case for quite a while. But then the the message coming from from the club, from Conte himself. Um, from the journalists connected to Spurs is that it's not dependent on top four anymore. Now, I still think we're going to take fourth because Arsenal get bad everywhere they go. But um, I, I, I think that like that's safe and that's secure regardless, and and, and that feels really good. But like, just from my personal perspective, I am I'm enjoying the team in this push for top four since I guess Liverpool. I'm enjoying Spurs in the way that I I haven't. Um, for quite a while, you know, I'm really uh, since the Champions League final. Really, I'm I'm really loving being a Spurs fan, and I'm I'm jumping out of my seat and shouting and waking up the neighbours' children because Newcastle scored against Arsenal on a Monday night, and and um, I'm really loving being a Spurs fan again, and that means so much. And yeah, of course, all of that just comes back from a team is winning games uh, and and Conte's ability to to get the most out of the, the players at the club, but. It's it's what it comes down to, what it means to a fan, you know. I don't think it is just about winning though, because Mourinho had spells of winning and it didn't feel the same. Okay, it's 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 the winning, but it's also you can see what's being implemented, and you can even see room for further growth. Where it's and going, that is yeah. really exciting. Like I, the system yeah. is is the system is really. He honed it so nicely in these last few games and the the way we soaked up pressure against Liverpool and then used that as a blueprint to play Arsenal. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I do think a lot of it does come down to when you start winning your games as well. Like Mourinho had his period at Christmas where he, he won a lot of games and we, people were talking about a title. But I, I think crowds back in the stadium has been a huge impact on this and just the fact that Kane is back playing and Conte is he's a mesmeric figure and Conte Cam, the rest of it, he's, he's a brilliant manager and he's really good at he's really good at getting the fans on side. Even those that are very Conte sceptical, I'm sure this week are, are back on board with Conte. And, and if you're seriously thinking that Conte is not the right fit for Tottenham and someone like Potter would be, then I, I think you need to... <laughs> think you need to like what i'm kind of trying to do with your fjordberg is is try and look at things a little bit differently yeah trying to admit that i was maybe wrong about fjordberg can you believe it 10 years of podcasting i've never admitted i was wrong but i may be getting that way maybe maybe arriving at that point i mean i think i do think both conte and potter can be good fits for spurs but we but let's just enjoy conte while we've got Mm. like you said he might only be here for two three years let's just enjoy him while we've got him because he is truly elite uh, and he's the only manager we could have who could put us in a position, I think, where we could really challenge for things next year. He's the only one. Uh, and yeah, I, I, th- I find that very exciting. I, I really think if we get Champions League, and, and I truly believe we will, I think we'll beat Norwich, I think Arsenal will lose. I think it, so the money will really help, obviously. 
the extra money that you get from being in the Champions League means we can be a little bit more ambitious with our with our transfer business. But I think the prestige um, and the, the good feeling that it creates within the club, I think that elevates Spurs as an option for a lot of players. And I, I really feel like, uh, you know, we sign an elite right wing back, left centre back, perhaps left wing back, backup striker. Oh my goodness, we're, we're going to be such a good team. You know, I think we're good now. I think we're good with the, the, the first choice 11 now. I think we're good even with the first 11 to 15 now. You bring in players at kind of Kulusevsky, Bentancur level to fill those roles and we're going to be really something to watch next year. It is very, very exciting to be a Spurs fan right now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an interesting tactical question from um, Ted Stewart. He says, do you think the last two results indicate that we can now cope playing against a high press Arsenal and a low block Burnley? Or are they outliers? What do you think, Nathan? Have we seen sort of um, two sides to Conte's system? Sure. Yes, I guess so. Um, I still think we did struggle when Arsenal pressed us. Um, obviously, again, there's a, a Davinson Romero situation there. Um, and I still think, so I did a video like almost straight after Conte signed and I looked at his performance, or especially Inter, um, but also a bit of Chelsea, about how they played with really good high-pressing sides. Not high-pressing generally, because um, a lot of what, Conte does is to draw a team out to press you high by passing backwards to the keeper a lot and stuff like that. Um, but against really competent high pressing sides, Conte does struggle from time to time. Um, still got decent results into against those sides, but the performances were kind of, uh, worrying and a low block from time to time. Like again, Conte's method of, of, of dealing with, um, a really, a parked bus, uh, for most of his career has been to just, go at them with the wing backs, cross, 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 dribble, dribble, cross, um, until they give in. And then it's a different game plan from one nil, um, because you can open up the game more. Um, and he's good at doing that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) 
a Conte team could still lose games, right? Obviously, mm. um, but we are definitely seeing the progress in both of those areas for sure. Matt D says, "Has a Spurs manager ever owned someone like Conte owned Arteta this past week and throw the reaction he got out of Klopp as the cherry on top?" Oh, no, I mean we've we've touched on this. I don't think so. I don't think an Arsenal manager's ever been owned quite like this. And he did r- rattle Klopp as well, and that's a testament to how he set us up and the play, how the players played. I thought we were great against Liverpool, and, and if we'd got imagine if we'd got those three points, we'd already be qualified. Alex C says, are any of you guys concerned about Conte's track record in European competitions as well as his struggles mm. to manage multiple games a week? And how do you feel we'll go next season in both the Champions League and Premier League because of it? Yes, I am. Quite frankly, I am. I am worried about that. I'm worried about how um, that will... I'm more worried about how being in European, like important European competition will affect our Premier League performance than I am about how... Like if we just have a bad Champions League run and we crash out or whatever, you know, we'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the important thing is being back. <laughs> yeah. Um, Buddy was just talking about, you know, Conte is the right man for the job. You don't need to worry about Potter. But I'm also thinking about like long term. Yeah. After Conte goes, maybe Potter's the man then or or someone else is or whatever. Someone else comes along. Um, but yeah, my, my concern is is I'm definitely worried about um, um, two games a week, two important games a week. Uh, for a lot of next season, and I think that um, I've been trying to. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Why that is? Um, there's definitely, and I've been learning as the season has gone along. There's definitely a lot more individual match-to-match preparation that Conte provides than I than I previously thought. Um, we we've seen those tweaks week on week, um, much in much more detail, um, and that's been quite eye-opening. Um, but also, um, I suspect that his team's periodization is leaning quite heavily towards um one game a week i think that he has some some not necessarily like outdated but kind of old school um experts in that area that make up part of his team and that things are just geared that way yeah i i think that it's not just missed tactical preparation i think you can see legginess when we play a second game in a week a lot of the time I I agree, and I I I did have some concerns about his rotation also, um, but he'll he'll know this. He'll he he he'll be very aware of his record in um, in Europe over the years, and I'm sure he'll want to do something about that. I, I I do think we're at an advantage next year compared to this year in that we already know the system now. So the play, you know, the core group of players know the system. They know what's expected of them. We'll have a preseason for those that don't know the system, and that will help. Um, and hopefully that will help to kind of just keep grinding out the Premier League results whilst the Champions League stuff's ongoing. My view is more that the Champions League might not go so well, but the sure. Premier League will continue to go well. Uh, but I think if he rotates heavily in the Champions League, especially in the early rounds, that's the way to do it. Do we have the squad for that? Or do you think we will have the squad for that? I think we'll need to buy. I think we'll need to buy quite a bit. And I think... You know, I also think we've got some young players, depending on, you know, the group stages. And we're so, we get so far ahead of ourselves talking Champions League if we haven't qualified yet, but what the hell. Um, if we get a good draw in the group stages, in the early stages, where we can play players uh, like, I don't know, go crazy, Troy Parrott, you know, um, that would be really helpful because we've got them, we've got a wider squad that we can use who can just do enough to kind of keep you in it, get you through it. Uh, and and give players like Harry Kane a rest. 
I mean, I'm not too bothered about his Champions League record. If his Champions League record, the last two seasons, his two seasons at Inter, were kind of standard for Italian teams anyway. They don't progress very far in the Champions League. And even his final one at Inter, uh, Martinez missed like eight open goals. And uh, Vidal got sent off really early against mm. um, against Real Madrid. So he was up against it and he nearly got out of the group. But it was, it was a tough group. But... I'm not worried about it now. I'll worry about it when it happens. For now, I'm just looking forward to hopefully qualifying for the Champions League and being back in it. It doesn't concern me what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. I just want to get there and then enjoy the summer thinking about it. It's a wonderful problem to have qualifying for the Champions League and then us having to think about how we're go- what we're going to do there. It's, um, it's, a, it's a position of privilege, so I'm not worried about it now. I'll be concerned about it if we lose our first two games uh, if we're back in Okay, so we, we had an email from someone who wishes to remain anonymous about hair loss. Um, let me read you let me read you half of this and then we'll have a chat about it and then I'll read you the, the next bit because it's I think it's interesting. I think um, you know I feel like we can handle this sensitively. Uh, so this uh, anonymous correspondent said that they started noticing that they were losing their hair when, when they were 19. He says, as someone who was particularly self-conscious, this really affected me. Initially, I paid for treatment from a seemingly reputable trichologist in London. This was pre-internet, so harder to do research. It was incredibly expensive and produced very little results. Having forked out over £4,000 in just over a year, I started to use Regain, which was available over the counter from Boots. It was far more affordable, £60 for about two months of treatment, but didn't appear to achieve much other than to possibly slow down the recession in the front corners of my hairline. The biggest issue, though, was trying to hide the fact that I was using Regain, so if I was ever going on holiday with friends or staying away, I'd always have to hide the bottle. Fast forward a few years and I was still losing more hair, including on the crown. People would always assume that I was a lot older than I was and at the time was still perennially single, which I put down to my appearance. I was lured by an advert by a well-known non-clinical hair treatment studio in London, so I went to see what they could offer. I was given a pretty good sales pitch and walked out having committed to just under £3,000 for a new head of hair, despite not really understanding the mechanics of what I'd signed up for. I came back to them four weeks later for a fitting, which I then discovered was essentially a wig. Although no one in the industry ever calls it that, it is a hair system or unit as the preferred terminology. I've never been so anxious in my life as the next day going into work, which was a very lads banter sort of workplace. Needless to say, it convinced no one and I had to live in ridicule for a while. However, after a while, the comments stopped and as people left and new colleagues started, it was never mentioned, at least not to my knowledge. I started to experiment with different styles and I knew how to look more authentic. I have since found more affordable ways of purchasing and maintaining these hair systems. I now pay about £300 per unit, which usually lasts four to five months with maintenance. I very rarely receive any comments, though sometimes when a new unit is fitted, it doesn't instantly blend well with my natural hair colour around the side, and the colour can sometimes fade over time, which can be a bit of a giveaway. I rarely talk to anyone about it. It was a very awkward subject to raise when dating, though I did tell my now wife on our first date, and I've lived to tell the tale. My children, aged seven and six, do not know that I have a hair system, and I'm always particularly nervous when they climb on me or want piggybacks. I don't play football through fear of what might happen if I had the ball and swimming is not recommended as the chlorine can do bad things to the hair colour. So, okay, that's that's the first chunk of the email. I wanted to get your thoughts on, on this, guys. What did, you, what did you take from that so far? I mean, it's, uh, it's committed a lot of money to it. I, I, I know I can't, I can't comment, but uh, I can see just from talking to people who, who have lost their hair, it, it's something that really affects them. And I can understand why they, they, they're willing to, to do that and, and commit £7,000 plus to it. 
It's a lot of money. That's a life-changing amount of money to spend um, on what is essentially um, cosmetics. Mm. And, and this is the thing. Hair loss is so damaging. I, I found it really, really, really damaging for my ego, my 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 self. Like I, I stopped. I stopped. In, I, I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror. I didn't want to look at myself in the mirror, and I saw gaps in my hair. And um, and I've mentioned this in, in the previous pod. I've I've found shaving my head really liberating. I've gotten even shorter now, so it's like literally like pretty much skin. Um, and and the reaction I've had has been good. It's, people have said, "Yeah, it looks fine. You know, it looks all right. Don't worry about it." And getting to that place where you don't worry about it is is the is the important thing. It's really tough to get there though. And I really felt when I read this email, I really felt it. I really felt like so so bad for this guy and you know the 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 bit that i struggle with is 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 not wanting your children to climb on you and play with you you know that's Mm. such a big thing to have to deal with all the time must be constantly there as a reminder and um and i just wish i could kind of give you a hug mate and say you're gonna be fine without your hair system you're gonna be absolutely fine and people won't worry about it within weeks and your children are still gonna love you and they'll probably rub your head they'll probably love rubbing your head (laughs) Um, it's 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 a tough one to read. Yeah, this is definitely there's definitely very clearly a lot of anxiety coming through uh, in this email um, about like trying to hide the fact that you were using Regain, about not telling uh, anyone apart from your wife, about the fear of of your, your you know your children not knowing all of those kinds of things. Uh, and I'm not saying like because I'm I'm now using Regain myself. Um, and yeah, I'm not not blown over by the results so far myself either. Um, I think that you you know definitely sure use use a a, a hair system whatever you call it use regain etc. If if that's what you want to do, but the first thing to do is you've got to you've got to make more peace with your situation. I think there's there's clearly um, some processing you need to go through there because at the moment you're in a situation where um, you're like terrified of anyone of anyone knowing and like. There doesn't need to be that fear at all. And obviously, like you previously, you're in a work situation where it's a, it's a laddie banter kind of thing. And you know, they're going to take the piss out of you. And then that materialize and that's going to compound those fears and, and really fix that on you. But basically, as Wendy and I have been discovering, no one cares. No one cares if you're bored, you know, have, have, have a system you take on and off. Um, I want to have hair, but it's okay <laughs> when I don't, you know. Um, you, you've got to, you've got to fight that face on. You've got to, um, you've got to be seen in public in a way that you think is unacceptable because it's completely acceptable and, and you've got to explore making peace with that. And then everything from there is, is downhill and will be much easier for you. If, um, I, what Nathan said, it makes a lot of sense there. If nobody cares, nobody, people on the street don't know that you're bald. And if you're, if you do go bald and you're, you see how your friends react and a hundred percent sure your friends would be super positive and, and support you. And if they don't, then maybe consider the fact that then shouldn't be your friends. Talk to your wife about it, man. <laughs> get, 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 get her to open up about how she feels, right? Cause that's surely that's going to guide your decision more than what anyone else thinks. Definitely, definitely. So let me let me read the end of this um, email, and, and I just want to say again, I really appreciate the um, this listener opening up to us. It's uh, it's quite touching actually that you, that you felt able to. So he says, "I'm in a position now where I'm seriously considering no longer wearing them, as it will save a lot of money, potentially a thousand pounds per year, and it will also be incredibly liberating in many ways. However, I know that I look a lot better with hair than without it, and I'm worried that my self confidence would be severely impacted should I go back to how I should look naturally." 
The reason for the lengthy life story is partly for therapeutic purposes, but also because I wanted to raise and ask you to share the sentiment on the pod about the stigma of hair loss for many men. Naturally, you guys on the extra inch discuss such matters very sensitively, but I feel it uncomfortable listening to most other people taking the piss out of wigs and hair replacements. This seems to have amplified on Spurs podcast due to Conte's far more exper- expensive hair treatment. Anyone who goes to the effort and expense of any sort of hair treatment is by nature going to be very image conscious as, and it's really unhelpful and sometimes upsetting to indirectly be the source of ridicule. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the first point you make. Um, think of the money you're going to save. Think of the, that thousand pounds. You can spend it on nice holidays with your family and, you, and <laughs> you'll have a lovely time and you'll be a big hat collection. Yeah. You, you, you'll be bald so you can go in the, in the sea and swim Go go and go on a holiday to the coast and swim and not worry about your your hair system being lost uh, and just enjoy the the freedom and the liberation and um, and you say that that you're worried your self confidence would be severely impacted. I think your self confidence has already been severely impacted yeah. and it's not going to get much worse mm. from here. You've you know you've done what you've been going through has been really difficult and uh, and I, I honestly don't believe it's going to be any worse. I, I think it will just it will remove some it will remove a barrier for you for enjoying your life you won't have to worry about your hair system getting knocked off or you know when you have to replace it and what your colleagues might think if they notice all of that is gone instantly and uh, and you'll feel better for it i think so i think so um yeah i taking sort of strays uh, in terms of the way people talk about other bald men but it's like pep yeah pep and everyone and everyone but like People mock Pep because of his character and they use baldness as a way to sort of weaponize that, right? He he emits a bald energy, right? That's that's the thing. Yeah? He's so self-confident, He's, isn't he? Yeah. I think and, and Conte as well, like the thing with Conte, like, have you seen the pictures of him when he when he was shaven? He looks so good and it's so fitting for his character because he's such like a an authoritarian, uh, you know, hyper masculine figure. That looks so much better on him than his than his current hair get up, you know? Um I don't know. People are gonna uh, people are gonna mock each other uh, for reasons that they don't necessarily actually fully believe in. You know, it's just a means because because Pep's character and his success <laughs> like attracts ridicule um, and the absurd things that he says. Um, baldness is a way of 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 getting at him, but I don't think most people really really own that kind of anti-board prejudice i think what gets more mockery is like weak attempts right, to cover it up like mm. comb overs and leaving the sides long when you're completely bald on top and and all that kind of stuff and, and those are all men who again are probably in a sitting situation to you and and need to work through it and make peace with it so whether that comes in the form of sticking with your current system or or looking at other ones or whatever the most important thing is to, to is to address um i think I don't know how easy it is to 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 go bald for a time being and then maybe return. I don't know if it's such a thing you can take off and put back on or whether it's a bit more complicated than that. But I would highly recommend, if possible, if feasible, spend some time without any hair, shave it all the way down on the sides, um, be seen by people old and new and find it very liberating because I think you will. And grow bald a beard. Conte. But bald Conte looks quite menacing. He really I, does. I, I totally forgot about that period of his life. He looks really menacing. Seriously, he does. He does. It's like a different person. <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to say that if if I don't have any success when I eventually start dating as a bald man, I'm going to spend the £1,800 and go to Turkey and get my, <laughs> get my hair yes. done. I'm not against that. Um, but I'm also... 
I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the eggness at the moment. And this is the thing, like I've I've preempted the jibes in Discord. I've put the egg in my in my username. Uh and I I'll probably if if ever my picture gets posted on on a Twitter account that masses might see, I will probably do the same. Like you've got to get there first, haven't you? You've got to you've got to be the one to be self-deprecating first, I, I think. I think you're all dramatically overestimating how strongly women feel about baldness. Mm, Especially possibly. like shaven, nice, smooth, even baldness, you know? It does feel really nice. It's lovely to it's lovely to run your hand over. You've been listening to the extra inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 